Good morning and welcome back to those that have been uh, on the road traveling. I know we have a lot of folks that are still gone and um, we were out this week in West Texas and I understand you had a few sprinkles while we were gone uh, and we were just amazed by the pictures on Facebook of some of the areas and the rivers and creeks that were just raging uh, this week, but um, we uh, we want to turn to, turn to Isaiah six this morning. We want to behold our God in His Word this morning as we've been singing these words. That's just been great, setting us up for Isaiah chapter six. As we want to behold our Lord, our King, who's reigning and will reign forever. We're going to see Him in Isaiah six this morning. But uh, I trust we prayed last week that God would give us opportunities to be His ambas- ambassadors. And wherever we spread out or whoever came into our homes or wherever we were over the last week. And I, I've heard from some of you of opportunities and, and uh, some that you anticipated. And God was gracious to give good conversations and open doors for the gospel and encouragement with other believers. And, and others that um, surprises along the way and things you didn't anticipate. But uh, uh, let's continue to pray for one another. There's other opportunities, and many of our folks are still on the road, obviously. A lot of empty seats today, and um, and so we'll pray for pray for them. Other guests, I know we have family in town, uh, and so we're grateful to have you with us today as well. And, and on this Lord's Day, we passed, we actually were driving home, uh, uh, finished the trip home yesterday, and, and uh, Nelson and Jody Wallace were making their way to Texas as we were driving back from Texas, so... We, we couldn't quite coordinate for a, a lunch or anything like that. It was not the right time, but we, we were counting down the mile markers via text and we did the old, uh, flash the lights and wave across the <laughs> I-20 median. So, uh, it was, it was a sight to behold, I'm sure, for everybody around us, but, uh, but it was, uh, so all that to say, I know there are folks that are still moving around and, um, and, and things. So Isaiah chapter six. Let's read the let's read the text, and then we'll uh, pray together. Isaiah uh, chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim; each had six wings. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe! Is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. And we're going to stop there. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for the aid of your Holy Spirit to behold you, Lord, this morning. Not because of the imaginative words that I have to say or some some fancy sermon illustration or anything like that, God. But I pray that you would speak to speak to us, God, of yourself through the scriptures. God, just wipe from our eyes any haze that, that would that would prevent us, God, from from seeing you as you've revealed yourself in your in your word, God, for us to see. That we would have eyes, again, to behold. We see that so often in Scripture. Behold, behold, see. Lord, you, you, you want us to have the spiritual vision to, to see you, to see your power, to see your glory, to see you in all of your holiness, to see you seated on the throne. 
God, we, we confess that it's so easy to be, to have smaller thoughts of you, God, to, to have lesser thoughts of you, to, to, to have large thoughts of ourselves, to have large thoughts of our circumstances, large thoughts of world affairs, large thoughts of earthly rulers, God, and to have a diminished view of you, God, and we know that that's wrong, and we pray for forgiveness, God. And so, God, we, we, we need, though, by your help, to see you rightly. And to see you lofty, to see you exalted, to see you as the sovereign Lord that you are. God, when all around us is changing, Lord, we have this one constant, God. And that's, we, 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 we serve and we love and we know a God who's on his throne, who's reigning now. And so, God, may that steady our hearts, whatever is going on in our lives. May it humble those who are proud this morning and... And, and, and may it encourage those who come in faint-hearted and, and broken today, God. We have a Lord on the throne. I, I pray for Carl and Joanne this morning, God, as they are, are wanting to be your ambassadors, God, with their family in, this, in the wake of, of Carl's dad's death. I, I, I pray for them, God. It's, it just seems like a very hostile environment to be stepping into family members that are very much against Christ and then therefore against them. And, and so much hostility has been directed towards them. And I, I pray, God, that you would, as Carl and Joanne asked, God, that the, you would help them to be salt and season that, the, the, those gatherings and light, God. Flood, flood that, just, God, what has to be a very discouraging and, and just depressing service, God, with light through the, the just their, their grace and the graces of the Spirit that would be evident in them, God, and the words that they have to say. So, so use them, Lord. Give them, uh, set a guard over their mouth to know what to say and when to say it and how to say things. And, and, and so, God, just... We pray for we pray for open doors, God, with the family members, God, that their even their demeanor and their attitude would be uh, something that causes folks to ask questions and to engage in conversation and and uh, open up doors for the gospel there uh, for them. But I but I pray. I know there's grief too and uncertain of his dad's um, salvation and and so I pray that again that you would use texts like this, God, to comfort their hearts, God, that you. You are on your throne, and there is there is comfort for the believer in that thought. And so, um, and Lord, use it. And you you know you know what we need. You know where we're at. You know our circumstances better than any of us can know one another's lives, and better than we know ourselves, God. And so we pray for again and ask for that ministry of your Holy Spirit to bring these words uh, from you uh, to us, God, in a way uh, that changes us. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this is this is that sort of awkward, um, awkward annual Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, and so I, even as we greeted one another, what do you you say Merry Christmas? Do you say Happy New Year? How do you uh, just say Good morning? I don't know what you how you greeted one another this morning, but um, but this is kind of this Lord's Day bridge between the year that was and the year that will be, and so with that's keeping that in mind as I've been. Thinking that, thinking through this Sunday and how to prepare, knowing we'd have guests in and out, so we're not jumping right back into John this morning. We'll we'll be there next week, but 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 year ends like this, they can be both hard and helpful, can they? Can't they? Um, they can, they can be hard in the sense that sometimes this time of year it just brings this kind of tsunami of regret upon us. We think back over the last year and squandered opportunities and maybe you just feel like it was a waste of a year for you. Um, that, that, that you've, you're racked with guilt over, over that waste. So maybe that's kind of where you're at this morning. And then, and to varying degrees, mind you. But, but then there's also, year end provides this, this kind of warm ray of light to think, well, there's hope for change. Uh, maybe maybe things will be different. Maybe maybe I will change this year. Maybe this is the year God's going to really do work, and I'm gonna gonna see growth in some areas of my life that I've just been floundering in. Maybe over the last year, or sometimes a year in can be a reminder of things lost, um, lost health, um, lost loved ones through death, uh, lost jobs. Uh, but then the other side is here's there's hope that. 
things can be restored and, and gained. Maybe a grandparent here is, a, is a, or, or, or a, someone is anticipating a grandchild to be born in the coming year. And that's got you filled with excitement. Or some of you maybe are engaged and waiting to be married. And so that's exciting. And Or a career change you're anticipating. So that's that's something you're looking forward to. So it, So it's a strange mix of... As we look back, as we look ahead and the kind of conflicted feelings about it all. And, and we almost can't help but to do that, to look back and to look ahead this time of year. It's, it's just, it, we do it as individuals. You're probably doing this as a family. Uh, we, we're doing this as a church. We, and we have an elder retreat every year in January where we're kind of thinking back, evaluating where we've been over the last year, how, what God has done, giving thanks for the things that He's done among us and, and praying about those areas where we think we're still just really falling behind and God help us looking to Him to the year ahead. What do we, where do we go? And, and so, and, and this year in, in particular has been a, it's been unique. It's been a, a year like no other in our church. Now, it's kind of redundant to say that, I realize. There's, there's never a year that's the same as the year before. Every year is, is like no other. And I don't mean to say this is the hardest year of the church, but it's, it's been, it's been a, a difficult year in some ways and an exciting year in other ways. We, we started that, I mean, at our elder retreat last year. That's where we came away with thinking, you know, we're really due for some kind of longer range thinking and planning. And so we started Vision 2020, and so that's been going on this year, and it's been very excited. So many of you have been involved in that, kind of seeking the Lord. God, what do you want for us as a church, and as we as we look kind of out for the next five years? And so that's been going on. It's been very, very thrilling, convicting to see the kind of the things that have come to the surface, areas where we really do need to grow and change, and, and yet exciting to see plans being made and goals being set, and so that's been going on. We've certainly this is this has been a year we've had this this significant sin of of one of our own against others in our body, and that's definitely marked this year. And and so something we're still reeling from in in different ways. And 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 we've had a staff change and the Grubbs departure, and so that's that's different. And we didn't anticipate that when the year began. And and yet we're also looking ahead though. Again, we're right in the middle of the Vision 2020 process. We'll, we'll be presenting something to you in the, in the spring of, of, of what that plan will look like and, and, uh, something to pray for and, and, uh, we'll be searching for another staff person. And so there's, there's, there's things again to look forward to in, in those ways. And, and so that's our kind of the large church-wide Ways we're doing that, but you, there's countless ways in which you, as members of this church, and your own individual circumstances and situations, you're doing, you're doing your own version of that. And, and, and again, year-ends provide those opportunities of evaluation and, and of kind of resolution, uh, as we look forward. Um, and, and again, you, it's everywhere around us. This is not unique to church. Uh, New Year's resolutions, that's big business in our, Culture. I mean, there are plenty of health clubs and diet plans and 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 uh, self help books that are just making they're 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 being sold and 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 pushed like crazy right now. Uh, just just riding this train of of New Year's resolutions and all of this this kind of thought and and well, Isaiah six. Uh, that's where we're at this morning. This is not a self-help sermon. This is not a little motivational talk to help you stick to your New Year's resolutions. That's not the aim of this morning. I don't want to ignore, though, the fact that most of you have this kind of mix of feelings about about the New Year on this Lord's Day. And so everybody has those thoughts. And Christians, though, as I kind of indicated earlier, they, we have a unique burden. I think there is there is kind of a unique burden that we have both for ourselves and for our church, um, and, and I think it's right. The Christian life is full of resolve, resolve for change. It's it's very unChristian to be stagnant, um, and and so sometimes that resolve comes in the form of a drive a stake in the ground moment. Uh, but generally, most often, it's not that. It's not New Year's resolutions. It's more just this resolve, this consistent obedience over the long haul to choose to obey the Lord. And and so, but resolve is part of that for us as Christians. And 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 that said, we're not. I don't want to Christianize um, 
the the culture's obsession with self-improvement. That's not what we want to do, and that's why we're in a passage like Isaiah 6. And, and we want to see the Lord. We want Him to inform how we think about looking back, how we look ahead. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. But some of you are maybe ending 2015, um, and this is part of those feelings of regrets, a little spiritually flat, dry. Um, you feel like you're living in this kind of spiritual desert, little zeal for the Lord, maybe just kind of existing. You're here, and you've been here, you're here every week, but just, it just, there's not that it's like fire in your gut for the Lord, or however you want to say it, whatever, whatever you want to say it, but maybe, maybe there are weeds of sin in your life that have just choked out that vitality that you once knew, and, and, and there's conviction over that, or maybe you can't point to some specific sin, but you just kind of, ugh, just blah. Well, if you're there this morning, I, I want to I want to encourage you. Don't don't lose heart. There, that 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 take heart. There is there is help for us in the Word of God, and God's Spirit is working, and He wants us to grow. He wants us to change. He wants us to know life and to know it abundantly. That's what Jesus came to offer, as we've been singing, John. And so, so that's what we that's what we want to do this morning. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the things God has done in this church and is doing, and and uh, but I'm also, as you are, burdened for our, the progress of sanctification in our own body. Just as we have those feelings of maybe as as individuals, uh, maybe there's that thought, like as a church, and this is what we've been going through with this Vision 2020 process. God, where do we need to grow? What are, where, where are blind spots? And we've been able to see some of those things, and so praying about those. God, give us. Help us to focus more on the mission that you've given us of making disciples right here in our community and around the world. Help us not to lose track of that, lose sight of that. Help us to have greater unity and stronger relationships in our church. Um, the relationships that are forged across lines that divide our culture. And so help us to have a greater impact on our community for the gospel. Help us to have stronger marriages. Help us to help us to have worship that's more full of the spirit and of truth. Our gatherings. And so these are kind of some of those things we're thinking about. And what do we need, though, to, to see those things come, come to be? We just need better planning. Do we need a, 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 a nice, slick process to get us there? Do we need... We need a, a coach from the outside to come in and help us as a church to, to, to pull that off. No, we, need, we need God. We need, we need the Lord. It's what you need in your life. We need His church. We, we need His power to work in us and through us. That's, that's what we need. We need to be overwhelmed by Him so we worship Him, believe Him, love Him, obey Him. That's, that's what we need as a church. More than resolutions, we need revival. We need to see the Lord. We don't need to enter this year focused on ourselves and how we can better ourselves for our own personal gain. We need to start 2016 with our eyes on the Lord. And that's what we want to do this morning in Isaiah 6. This is kind of, this is an opportunity for us to kind of clear our vision. We come out of the year and this time of year we have uh, in some ways this diminished view of God that, that the culture is pumping out and kind of the cute little baby Jesus and we have this kind of distorted Small thoughts of God that, 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 that's there in our culture and, 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 and other things are elevated. Other idols of our culture are elevated. Money and, and, and fame and stuff and, and sex and sports. And those things are big right now. And so we, we need to kind of clear that stuff away so we can see the Lord. That's what we want to see. Okay, Isaiah 6. And turn back to Isaiah 5 and let's set it up here. Isaiah 5. I want to... I want to read verses 1 to 7, and then we'll, we'll, we'll say a few things before we get to, to chapter 6. Isaiah 5, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it, cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? 
When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and I will, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall be pruned or shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds and the rain and they rain no rain upon it. And then look at verse seven. This is kind of the key to what he's been saying in these six verses for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice and behold, bloodshed for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. And so this is, this is this little word picture. These, give me this parable. Here's, here's this vineyard that the Lord planted. He took such great care to plant it, to produce these, these, this good fruit, these good grapes, but instead, they produced these wild grapes, these, these weeds that grew up. And so the Lord just made the decision, well, that's it then. I'm just going to tear down the walls. I'm going to let it be overcome and overgrown. And so then he goes on and he pronounces these woes upon the wicked people of Judah, these people that he planted and that he took such great care to plant in, in the land. And so look at verse verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field. So he says, woes upon their greedy materialism. This was evident in, in God's people that he planted to produce good fruit. So down in verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink and who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. So they're, they're devoted to pleasure and, and it, they're given over to drunkenness. So he's pronouncing this, this cursing, this woes upon his people. Down in verse 18, another one of these woes, woes to those who defy the Lord Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. They're dragging sin. They're seeking it out. They're not just kind of passively stumbling into it. No, they're going and they're looking for it and they're pulling it along. Just in defiance against the Lord who planted them. Down to verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. They have reversed morality. They've got it all wrong. And they call like. Dark, dark light. This is we have our own version of this in our day when we we protest the inhumane treatment of animals, and yet we're okay with abortion. I mean, that's just one obvious example, but we, this happens all the time. We see morality reversed in our day. Verse twenty-one: Woe to those who's who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. They're given to pride and arrogance. Again, just completely forgetting. How they even exist as a people. That God is the one who planted them. But they're, they, they don't think they need the Lord. Verse 22. They're, Woe to those who have, show this injustice uh, towards others. In the hands of drunkards. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. What a great thing. to that's a, what, a, what, a, what a phrase there. And valiant men in mixing strong drink. Who acquit the guilty for a bribe. And deprive the innocent of his right. So you have this. This denunciation of the people, again, that God planted in grace. He, he moved towards His people and set them apart as a people, set them apart to produce good fruit, and, and they're, they're overrun with sin. And so He pronounces these woes. And it's against this backdrop of the faithlessness and the foolishness of, of God's people that He planted that, that we come to our text this morning. And so... The verse 1 of chapter 6 begins, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now the context for that is, you don't have to turn there, but it's in Second Chronicles 26. Uzziah, if you remember our study in Kings, he became king at 16. Of course you remember our study in Kings, but he became king at age 16. Now, so any 16-year-olds here this morning, raise your hand, don't be ashamed. You got your driver's license, you're cool. All right, so we have a few this morning. And so imagine being king or queen and at 16 of, of God's people. So he reigned for 52 years, 52 years. Had this long, prosperous reign as king. Started well. He did right in the sight of the Lord, Second uh, Chronicles 26 says. That's how he began his reign. He made Judah strong economically, geographically, expanding the borders, militarily, agriculturally. So he brought a lot of good for God's people. 
But then you read verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now who were the only people allowed to enter the temple of the Lord? Priests, that's right. And was Uzziah a priest? No, he was king. He was king. And so why did he do this? He, he knew it was wrong. He knew better than this. Why did he do it? It was pride. It was pride. Arrogance. He had this high view of himself. He had this diminished view of God. It wasn't always that way for him. But, but over time, this had this kind of reversal of how he saw himself and how he saw the Lord. And so he grew arrogant over time. And the result is a priest catches Uzziah in the temple. And Uzziah becomes enraged, the text says, at this priest. So he's throwing this temper tantrum because who are you to tell me? I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to do. Well, while he's throwing that temper tantrum, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. And lepers, according to God's instructions, were separated from the people. So verse 21 says, And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And the people mourned over his death. For many, this was the only king they had ever known. 52 year reign, he, and he had been a great king for so many of those years. This is, uh, the only thing I compare this to would be the, the, the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy in our own nation. That, the whole nation in, in mourning. But it's, it's that sense uh, multiplied times ten. I mean, because this is a theocracy. This is God's king. And, and to, to, to be struck with leprosy by the Lord, for disobeying the Lord, separate from his people, and then dying in that state. It was just the nation was grieving. Just grieving. So this is a... This is, this is when he says the year that King Uzziah died, everybody knows what he's talking about. This is like Pearl Harbor. Again, JFK assassination, assassination 9-11. It's one of those years, one of those times. And that year, so it's in this year of mourning that Isaiah receives this vision of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And so what, what do we, this is a question I want to kind of set us up for. And we're going to work through these real, real, real quickly this morning. But what, what do we need to know about God as we look back over 2015, as we look ahead to 2016? A lot may have changed. A lot may change in the year to come. But, but there are some things that are true of God that will not change. God does not change. So we want to see the Lord as Isaiah saw him. God, so what do we see about God? The first thing we say is God is alive. He's alive. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The great king with his 52-year reign and his long list of accomplishments as, as, as God's king on, on, on the throne of God's people. He's dead because, because the Lord struck him with leprosy. But what? But the Lord lives. Men and women are born and they die. Kings and rulers, they come and they go, but the Lord lives on. God's alive. He's not dead. He's not dead literally. There, we sang this. Jesus rose from the dead. That God, and that, that contrary to what has been said, God's not dead. He, he, he's risen, but he's not dead in other ways too. Philosophically, he's not dead for all practical purposes. Like we've just kind of, Killed God and pushed by pushing him to the margins of society and of life. He's not dead in that way. He's not dead because people choose to ignore him. God is alive. He's active. He's involved. He's, he's interested in the things that are going on in this world. He's controlling those things. He's ruling over those things. So seasons change. Rulers change. Governments change. But God remains the same. He's living. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There are attacks on God in our day, and there are, there are those that 
trying to, to, to debunk the myth of God and all of these kinds of attacks. But, but all, if you, if even the strongest philosophical attacks from the greatest orders and the greatest thinkers of our day, they're like shooting BBs at the Hoover Dam thinking you're going to destroy it. It's God. All of our attempts are going to end up like those BBs at the, in, the, in the ocean rusting. There, there, there's, there's nothing that God remains. A, if a hundred years from now, if the a hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, we'll, we will all, most of us will have, be dead. And the earth will be populated with new people and ten billion people, perhaps. But all of them will be born and die. But the Lord lives. In the year Uzziah died, but the, but I saw the Lord. So just. That changes everything for us if we really get, I mean, just that alone. That God is alive. Jesus is alive. He's reigning. He's ruling. He's leading. He's loving. He's protecting. He's providing for us. He's, he's governing us. Do you get that? Does that change the way you think? Does that change how you, you live your life, how you work your job, how you lead your family, how you, how you care for your family, how you, how you, do your work at school, how you come and worship with God's people as church. You live like that. You worship like God lives. He's alive. He's, he's present with us. Do we listen to God's word? Do we pay attention to it? Like he's, like he's living and he's active and he's speaking to us through it. Do we, do we pray like that? That God hears. He's, he's alive just as he's, he's, he's much alive, more alive than you and I am. And we talk with one another right now. God hears. He speaks. Do we, do, we, do we trust Him like that? Or do we worry and give ourselves over to anxiety? But do we, do we believe? Do we really lay hold of this truth? That God lives. That's the first thing. I think it's so important for us to see. I'll, again, I don't know what last year held. I don't know what this year holds. But God is alive and He does not change. That is great truth for us to, to get a hold of as we cross the threshold of this year. Second thing that we see the, about God is that God is authoritative. Authoritative. Isaiah sees the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. One king, earthly human king dies, but he sees the Lord sitting on a throne. God is king. He has authority and control, absolute authority and control over everything. And his reign is secure, even though, again, God's king has died God, the king, never dies, never loses his power. He's on his throne. In heaven, God is not the street sweeper. He's not garbage collector or the shoe shiner or whatever role you and I may end up having in, in, uh, in the eternal state, in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and, and even now, as, as God is king. He's on the throne. The throne represents his right to rule. He is the right to rule everything as it's the throne that's of heaven. He's the right to rule the whole world. We don't give him that right. We don't give God authority. We don't give him that, that power. He, he has it whether we like it or not or whether we acknowledge it or not. He just is king. He's utterly and completely authoritative. He does not need a second to any motion that uh, for, for any motion that he makes. He's not waiting for anybody's approval. He is the final authority. Everything he says is enacted immediately. I mean, you see this, this picture of God's sovereignty, sovereign rule throughout Scripture. Uh, Job has many passages to deal with this. I'm just thinking of the crazy weather that we've had across the nation this week. I was just thinking of some of these, but... but Whatever God says happens, even down to the very last lightning strike. Job 36, 32, God covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. So it just never misses. There, there's, there's not, there was not one drop of rain the other day in that deluge here that, that there was not one more drop than God intended. Isn't that crazy that Job 28, 26, God sets a limit on the rain. He says, rain, stop. And it stops. Nothing sneaks by. Uh, we were in West Texas, and where it's normally cold and 
windy and nasty this time of year. It was mid-70s and sunny and, and uh, it was just beautiful uh, all week that we were there. And now they're in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> Who would have thought? But God is over that. God is in charge of the storehouses of snow. Um, he says through Job, Job 38, 22. And so, so just God's not just alive, but he's in charge. He's authoritative. That, that should both humble us in the sense that we're not self-sufficient. We're not independent like we may want to think we are. That God, we, we, we're not our own boss. So that should humble us, but it should also give us great joy and hope. It's good that we're not in charge. Um, he is... He is a much better sovereign ruler than we would ever be. He's all powerful, but he's good. He's good. So, so think about that. Right now, God is living and he's, he's exercising authority over your life and over this church. That's a good thing. And that Jesus is the Lord of the church. We talked about this in the series we did in uh, the letters to the churches in Revelation. Jesus speaking to these churches and he's, he's walking among these churches. Jesus is actively involved in this church, this local church. He's, he's working by his Holy Spirit. The elders aren't in charge. The congregation's not in charge. Jesus is in charge. He's the Lord of the church. He, he leads us by his word. He leads us through our ministry to one another. So he uses means. He, he leads us directly, though, by his Holy Spirit. Uh, and, he, and he forces all the trials that we go through to work for our good and for his glory. They all are, have purpose and meaning. And so, but, but, but God is alive. He's authoritative. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's working for us. And so, again, don't, in, in, the, in the thoughts that you have of thinking of a year behind and a year ahead, don't lose sight of this. Don't don't switch over into you and your sovereign plan for your life over the coming year. Have resolve, um, set goals, but do so with a sense and with an understanding that God is in, in charge. He's on the throne. All right, third, the Lord is august. I'm trying to keep it the A's here. He, he, the text, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, or lofty and exalted, your translations may say. Uh, so, Height and exaltation, they go hand in hand. You, the Olympics coming up this summer, and, and so you'll, you'll, what do we see? The, the gold medal winner is the one sitting, standing at the top of the podium, right? It's, it's true. Height and exalt, exaltation go together. You talk in business, if you really are doing, doing well in business and succeeding in, in your company, you're, you're climbing the corporate ladder. You're going up. You know, talk about the, Success is being kind of right in the middle. No, it's always high. In school, if you excel as a student, you're the head of the class. So it's always height and exaltation. Well, here, the Lord is high, lifted up, lofty, exalted, height, honor, prestige, respect. That's what, that's what's true of God. He's in the highest place. There are many little thrones in this world. Many rulers and, and, and human authorities in this world. And God has installed those. But none are as high as the Lord is. He is highest. He is the most exalted one. Even the reigns of those human rulers and kings. They're under the authority of God as he reigns. He raises up rulers and he brings them down. So he has preeminence. He has the highest place. Does does Jesus have preeminence in your life, in your thought, in your marriage, in your in your in, in the way you the way you're thinking about the, your plans and how you view your past? Does He have preeminence in, for us as a church? Is He at the forefront of everything? Is Christ the, is always at the tip of the spirit as we're preaching and what we're doing and what we're how we're serving and our attitudes for one another? Does it all reflect Christ and bring glory to Him? Is, is Jesus preeminent in your thoughts and our thoughts as a church? So, so he, see, he's august, he's high, he's exalted. Fourth, he's awesome. God is awesome. He's stunning. It says, in the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, we, I guess even when I was growing up, I mean, I have a different picture of, of weddings that I think a lot of folks have today, and I'm not saying it was the the golden age of weddings or anything like that, but they were typically in churches and these big 
wedding dresses and veils and train of the bride's dress going down the steps of the church and down into the aisle. And and now with Pinterest, everything's minimalistic and simple and it's all kind of simple and quaint. And that's great. And I'm not, that's not a statement on the changes of our culture with regards to weddings. That's all fine. But I, but I want you, if you could picture that scene though of us, uh, of a bride and, and a wedding and that large dress. But, but this here, this, this robe, it's not just, not just feeling this out of, feeling the, the steps down the, down the stage and down the aisle, but feeling this auditorium. Every row of chairs, every aisle, every nook and cranny, these little weird wings over here that we don't know what to do with, and but we're glad you're there, folks. Uh, thank you. You're, nobody else knows you're there, but we see you. I see you. And uh, so out the windows, through the sound booth, in the baptistry, this, this train of this robe, he says, it's this vision of the Lord. It just fills the temple. It's just overflowing. And what is that, what is that talking about? Well, robe is it was seniority. It was, it was power. Bigger is better. More important. To have this large train of your robe. And so God's robe is enormous as Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord. His power, his importance is just absolutely unparalleled. Unmatched. And so, this again, we need to, we need to see the Lord like this. It's unparalleled importance in our life. You, you cannot... You cannot possibly exaggerate the greatness of God. You can't overestimate how important He is to your life, to this church, to your marriage. It's in our world. Every one of us has thoughts of God that are too small. We have not, we will never catch up with who God is. I mean, we'll have all eternity to, to learn of the glories of God and to learn of his character and, and we'll never, we'll never make it. We'll never arrive. We'll spend all eternity learning more of God and his greatness. So, so to, so God cannot figure too large in your life and in our church. That's what I want you to just see. It, we, we need, as we enter into this year, again, individually, families, as a body, Lord, help us to, to, to God over the coming year. Just have a larger view. Help us help you to figure larger in every decision, every meeting, every assembly of this church, every every conversation and with our my kids and every Sunday school class, every every sporting event, everything that I do, God, may you be large in my life. Uh, so he's 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 awesome do you do you see that do you see how that changes everything for you so he's awesome fit he's admired he's admired above him as i say sees this vision above him stood the seraphim these magnificent creatures each had six wings and with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and so these are some amazing angelic creatures these are not cute chubby naked winged babies uh, these are these magnificent beings that God made for the purpose of bringing glory to himself and drawing attention to himself. But they're not nearly as amazing, again, as the God that they serve. Their, their intention is to, to draw attention to the Lord, and that's exactly what they do. They, they, they cover their face with two, he covered his face. He can't look upon the brilliance of God. He covered his feet. He doesn't feel worthy to, to have feet uncovered before the presence of, of Almighty God. And so, so, and, and this, and this creature exists for one purpose. It's just this extravagance of God to create beings like this that exist for one and purpose and one purpose alone. These aren't angels that are dispatched to go do other things and to come care for us. The angels that are entertained, unaware, that kind of thing. It's not them. These angels exist for one purpose, to praise and glorify God. And they're doing it for eternity. Over 800 years later, the Apostle John sees a vision of the Lord. And, and he sees these same creatures singing the same song. <laughs> and I think we'll see it. They, they, they're standing here. And what does that tell us about God? That there, there's no end to his praiseworthiness. 
I mean, you don't feel like there's anything that you have to give thanks to the Lord or to praise Him for or honor Him for today. But you don't, if, if again, if we get the previous five points and we see how great and awesome and glorious God is and, and mighty He is, then we'll never run out of things to praise God for. And here these creatures are existing. And, and I, I just, just say that should tell us something as we, we, we better be practicing now for eternity. Every Sunday is choir practice. We're, we're here. We're getting our voices warm. We're, we're, we're learning to sing the praises of God. Because we'll do it forever. Forever. Sixth. God is, this is a little bit of a stretch, but awe hyphen full. Um, he's full of awe. Full of awe. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Have you ever tried to describe something that's virtually indescribable? Go to some place and see some natural wonder, then you try to go back and explain to people what it was like to see it. Uh, many of you have seen the Grand Canyon. Others of you have not. If you have not, ask somebody who's seen it today to describe it. Just let them stumble around and try to explain. Because there's no way that you can describe it to make it as impressive as it actually is. To walk up to the rim of that canyon and just... Oh, it's so big. It's awesome. And what do you, how do you describe that? Well, that times... A million as we think about God. How do you describe God? The seraphim do the best that they can. And how do they describe him? They say he's holy. He's holy. He's holy means separate. He's other. Set apart. Entirely unique. One of a kind. God is 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 creator. He's he's so not like us creatures. And these seraphim are creatures. They're made by God. And so they say he's holy. He's the only uncreated one. Completely other. There's this infinite, unbridgeable separateness between God and everything else. That's what, he, that's what they're saying when they're saying that God is holy. Completely other. To describe him is to try and describe the indescribable. And this is the word. This is the only word that really begins to fill in that gap. Holy. Holy. There aren't enough words in the English language or in all of the languages of the world combined to describe God adequately. Holy gets us as far as we can go with language. It's a very edge of language when it comes to describing God. To say to, to a further description of God is really not possible and a lesser description is not adequate. So we say holy. God is holy. But he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. That's emphatic. Three times holy. He's utter, utter holiness. Utter otherness. That's what these seraphim are declaring of God to God. God is completely, He's not dependent in any slight way upon us or any other created thing for anything. He's completely other. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He's got everything in Himself. It's utterly holy. Now what does that mean then? I mean, just thinking of the timing of here we are post-Christmas, two days now, what we've been celebrating, God sending His Son, giving His Son for us, sending Him in the likeness of sinful flesh, God becoming flesh, dwelling among us, God becoming, uh, though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor. He didn't come to be served, but He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You take all of that truth of the incarnation and you layer it against this backdrop of a God who has always been and always will be holy and not needing anything else. What does that magnify? It magnifies His love and His grace to 
come and to create us and to, even when we rebelled against Him, to save us. To move towards us in love. What a great picture. God is full of awe. He's completely holy, other. Last thing is that God is all glorious. All glorious. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. John Piper says of this, he says, God's holiness is the incomparable perfection of His divine nature. His glory is the display of that holiness. It's, it's, it's His holiness going public. And so the whole earth becomes this huge canvas for God to paint His glory upon. Like this a massive fireworks show. It's everything in creation. It just, the whole earth and all those in it, we, we just are, we are just this canvas to paint the glory of God upon. So Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3, it connects these things, these truths, God's holiness and His glory. It says, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. It will be made holy, considered holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So His holiness is glory related. The glory is the display of it. Glory of God. The Hebrew word, many of you have heard, kavod, kavod. The weightiness of God. That's the idea of this word. He's weightiness, heaviness of God. God's glory is His heaviness. It crushes us. It brings us low. Stand before the glory of God. You drop. The word worship is, is, is related to this. And this, what does worship mean? To, bring, to come low. To bow down. To bring yourself low. Understanding God's glory, God's weightiness brings us down. And so, it's all glorious. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. This is the picture. And what does it do? It does exactly what I just said as we worship. It brings us low. And this is, we look down in Isaiah 6, verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. This is trembling picture. What does Isaiah say? Verse 5. And I said, woe is me. He said, woe to you. Back in chapter 5, all... All of these, all of God's people and their sin, and, and yet Isaiah gets this picture of the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, train of his robe filling the temple. This, this holy, 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 the, the whole, whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the, the temple are shaking, and, and, and what does he say? Woe is me. Woe, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I, Dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see God rightly, you begin to see yourself rightly. This is why I think, I thought as we are on the cusp of a new year, as we're thinking about resolutions and and, and evaluating the past, looking at the year ahead, it's if we're going to see ourselves, if we're going to have a right evaluation of ourselves, and if we're going to, we're going to have a right perspective on for, our, for, for us as we move forward. What do we really, really need? We need to see God rightly. We need to see the Lord as He is, as, you, as He's revealed Himself. So with that in mind, I want to make some conclusions. And I'm going to kind of state these in the, given the, kind of the context of where we're at with resolutions. And so these are some statements, what ways to resolve. And these are not... I'm not suggesting these are resolutions you make, New Year's resolutions, but I'm just stating them in that in that way. Um, so the first thing, and conclude and then we'll be done, is, is resolve to make holy resolutions. Resolve to make holy resolutions. It resolve, as I said, is a good thing. I mean, it, resolutions are not necessarily bad either. I'm not, I'm not supporting the, the making of... New Year's resolution, that's not my point, but, but resolve is good. Um, but don't let, don't let your resolutions be shaped by the world, by, the, by popular culture, by these things. You look younger, 
do more for yourself this year, that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think that's probably where you're going. I hope not. But you see where that can lead. It's Isaiah 5. So those misplaced values that were true of the people of Judah. We see that in our own culture, don't we? We read that catalog and those woes in Isaiah 5 and you're like, he's talking to us. This is, this is our day. Morality reversed, drunkenness celebrated, and self, selfish, uh, vain pleasure-seeking, and hedonism, and, and injustice, and greed, and materialism. That's, that's, the, that's the air we breathe. So, so don't, don't let your resolve be shaped by that. Let your resolve be shaped by the scriptures. What holy desires. God-honoring, God-oriented, God-given desires. Second, resolve not to make gigantic plans for yourself with a diminished view of God. Resolve not to make gigantic plans with a diminished view of God. We often make big resolutions without God. Um, but what do we need? We need a bigger God. We need more of Him. We, we need Him to loom large in our plans and our thoughts and our goals and our ambitions and our hopes and our desires. That's what we need. That, we need that, you need that as an individual, as a family, as we need that as a church. Third, resolve to make much of God in our corporate worship, our corporate assembly. And even in our singing. You, you and I are not seraphim. I know that's a big shocker. And, uh, but I don't see any creatures like that around here. Um, but but God's, all of God's creatures were made for His worship. You, you were made for the praise and the glory of God and to worship Him. And you will, you will for all eternity, whether in heaven or in hell, you'll be, you'll be, you'll, you'll be living, you'll, you exist for the glory of God. So heaven is, is going to be filled with singing God's praises. And we're called to sing those praises to Him on earth and even in the assembly. And so whatever form of worship that takes here and however... Whatever kind of expression that means. And it could be singing. It could be listening to the word. It could be praying. It could be any kind of form. Talking about the corporate gathering here. But be fully engaged in God's praises. It's because of who he is. I pray, I pray that this church would be a singing church though. I, I think that's a good. It's a good litmus test for how a church understands who God is. How, how, how much. How well we know him. How we understand his character and his existence is how we sing. It's out of the overflow of our knowledge of God and hearing from God that we respond with, with expressive and vibrant singing to him. And so uh, I, I, I pray that we would grow in that. Christianity is a singing faith, um, unlike any other religion, really. Um, I want to just read a quote. This isn't. This is related to singing and music, but just kind of, this is from J.C. Ryle, so many years ago. There, he said, there's an elevating, stirring, soothing, spiritualizing effect about a thoroughly good song, which nothing else can produce. It sticks in men's memories when texts are forgotten. It trains men for heaven where praise is one of the principal occupations. Preaching and praying shall one day cease forever. But praise shall never die. The makers of good ballads are said to sway national opinion. The writers of good hymns and songs in like manner are those who leave the deepest marks on the face of the church. I just don't don't diminish that role. And again, I think that's one of the things we see here. Uh, next, resolve not to delay obedience to the Lord. I know the, the New Year's resolution, resolution craze encourages this. It's about annual it's kind of decision makings and, and, but don't wait, don't wait until January 1st to begin obeying the Lord. If the Lord is pressing something on your conscience and convicting you about some areas, start, start now and, and, and throughout the year, it just, that's true. Just let, let there be a more of a lifestyle of resolve as the Lord brings things Shows you things in your life that need to change to, to resolve to, to change those things then with his help. Next, two more. Resolve to hate all sin. Resolve to hate all sin. The big ones, the small ones as we call them. Because God is so holy. <laughs> so holy. 
That God, God in His gospel, they, they can not only save you from the penalty of your sin, but they also save you from the power of, of sin. There's hope that you don't have to you don't have to go another year in bondage to the sin that some of that you may be shackled to right now. Whatever it is, it's love of money, and you're and it's driven you to debt. It's if it's if it's lust and you're consumed with some uh, kind of sexual addiction. If it's if it's um, if it's worry and fear that's driven you to uh, some kind of addiction to some painkiller or something or, or, or antidepressive medication or something. I, I don't know what it is, but it, if, if you think that this is just how you're going to live the rest of your life, I want to give you hope that this doesn't have to be the case. God, can, God is able. He's able to pry that idol of your heart away and, and restore that worship of Him. It's, it's not going to be quick. It's not going to be one decision. It's going to take time, but God is able, and He's going to. He can give help, and, and we we will we stand ready to help you. But what my point is, you're not going to you're not going to be able to baby step your way to to sanctification. You, I mean, it is progressive, and it's not going to be a, again a sweeping decision. But you, you you're not going to be able to just kind of say, well, I'll just I'll just kind of. I'll, I'll just pace myself here. I don't want to overreact. I'll make some small concessions along the way. Just kind of slowly ease out of this this sin, this habit that I've been ensnared in for a long time. Now, every sin needs to be put to death. And you and you see a lot of sin in your life. Don't you? I see a lot of sin in my own life, my own my behavior, my words, my thoughts, my attitudes. But I don't see all the sin that there is in my life. I just see part of it. You, I see the surface most often. But so, but what do I need to do? I need to start dealing with the stuff that I do see. That's what that's what I do have eyes to see. And 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 as I deal with that, and by God's grace, I'll see more. And as I deal with that, I'll see more, and I'll see other layers. I'll see uh, not just the the words and the actions, but I'll see hidden thoughts and. Motives that I didn't even realize were there before and, and desires and, and these idols that are lurking in my heart. I'll begin to see these things. And so I just say, oh God, I want to I want to have a holy resolve to hate it all. All that sin robs God of glory, robs me of joy. So I say, let's let's have to enter into this year with that kind of resolve as a church. And then last, just resolve to pray for revival. Ah, it's for your own life, for your own soul. If there is that dryness, if you feel like you're in that wasteland, desert, spiritually. But for our church, for our, for other churches in our community, for the wider body of Christ, for pray for God's quickening work. Lord, we need you. We, and you're you're able. There's God's not. Oh, got his hands tied behind his back. He's able. And he asks us to call upon him. And so let's pray. Let's seek the Lord this year. Let's seek him and ask him to work in ways that, some ways we expect and specific ways we ask and other ways we don't even anticipate. But he's able. Let's pray. Lord, enlarge our vision of, of you. Um, we, we, we come in and we have, again, tame thoughts of you. We kind of, we can not consciously think like this or say it like this, but we kind of feel like you have a place, you have a part of our lives, maybe a large part, but it's it's still contained. You're still contained in our lives. And we have freedom, sovereignty over the rest of our lives. God, just, just, just destroy, obliterate that kind of false thinking. Help us to see you as great and glorious and and to help us to see your reign and your rule have having no end, having no boundaries. You you own every part of our lives, and help us to take delight in that. And, and um, I pray that as a church, God, that you would again you would loom larger in in our thoughts as we, even as we walk through this process of thinking about the future and planning for the future. God, I pray that that that. 
in all of those discussions, in all of those meetings, in all of that praying, in all of those pl- that planning, God, it would be, it wouldn't be with focused on us. But we'd have uh, this eye to you, God, sing the unlimited ability of that you have, and, and and seeing our complete neediness for you to work. We don't have what it takes, God. We need you. We need your reviving, quickening work in this body lives and God would we be able to say next year at this time Lord thank you for we we've seen it we've seen the evidence of it and may it be evidence God in a great harvest of souls over the coming year as we um, as we begin to have this kind of resolve to to be more focused on the mission that you've entrusted to us and making disciples here I pray that we'd be able to see fruit in the coming year from that Lord Lord do this Again, if nothing else, may we walk out today with a larger view of you than we came in. Um, so help us, God. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing.